15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Is that Shakespeare? Nope, it's Geico. Uh, yeah, 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 that's Shakespeare from one of his unpublished works. Oh, it be not for awakening. Nay, give it thou the berries. For 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. No, it's from Geico, because they help save people money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Blog Talk Radio. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed No more back to thinking, time for thinking ahead The world has changed so very much from what it used to be There's so much hatred, war and poverty Wake up all the teachers, time to teach a new way Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say They're the ones who's coming up and the world is in their hands when you teach the children to jump the very best can The world won't get no better If we just let it be na, 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 na. The world won't get no better We gotta change it now Just you and me Wake up, all the doctors make the old people well. They're the ones who suffer and who catch all the hell. But they don't have so very long before their judgment day. So won't you make them happy before they pass away? Wake up, all the builders, time to build a new land. I know we could do it if we all lend a hand. The only thing we have to do is put it in our minds. Surely things will work out. They do it every time. The world won't get no better if we just let it be. Gotta change it, just you and me. Everybody, 
Wake up, everybody. Welcome to the Truth to Power show. My name is Beverly D, and tonight this is Myron Rice show. And Myron Rice is talking IOUs, which equals OID. And this is tax season, so if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please call in. The call-in number is 323-642-1586. That's 323-642-1586. And uh, let's see, Mr. Rice, uh, how are you doing this evening? And I want to give the disclaimer that uh, we're not giving out any legal advice uh, or pertaining to be professional tax preparers. Mr. Wright, how are you doing this evening? Oh, fine. We're well, doing great. Can you hear me good? Yes, real good. Oh, okay. Well, family, thank you. Um, again, we're not tax advisors. Or, uh, we are, you know, registered with the IRS. We're not certified with the IRS. Of course, we're not no attorneys or uh, lawyers here, but we're just giving you some opinions kind of pointing you in the right direction when you deal with these individuals, you you need to be a, a little bit knowledgeable because these people have been um, committing fraud on you when you file taxes. No one on this call is an individual that need to have their taxes filed on a 1040 straight with the wages and income as, as the number one item on their W-2 that they receive, uh, no one is really in that position unless you work for the federal government. And the, the laws you want, other than that, you are tax exempt. One of the laws you may want to look at is Title 31, USC 3124. And if you're looking at that one, it talks about you are exempt from state paying any kind of state taxes or any municipalities, um, such as the county. And then it says anything that's used to calculate a tax, you're exempt from paying it, which normally everyone last month or this month earlier, you might have got some kind of uh, assessment on your property taxes that you're supposed to pay. None of that stuff is legal. It is not, or I should say, isn't lawful. It is legal because legal means that these are corporations and these are their statutes and codes that they're using to collect money from that U.S. citizen. If you are a U.S. citizen, if you're a two-dimensional birth certificate, a dead piece of paper because you have not told them that you are a three-dimensional individual or that you're just a person that's dead, then you have to abide by their rules and regulations and have to do what they tell you to do because you are a slave. So these are things that I'm trying to point out to you. All those who receive it, let's say you are a regular U.S. citizen and you do have a job and your job gives you a W-2 uh, at the end of the year. If you receive one last year in, in January or the beginning of this year, um, the W-2 says wages and income. Well, if you look at a W-2C, it is corrected. If you look on the 1040, just so you understand, on number one, line one, it talks about uh, your wages and income. It talks about taxes and, comp- I'm sorry, tips and compensation. 
All these are profits that you made. All these are profit. A tip is when someone else giving it to you. Wages and income is when someone gave you some kind of profit. But if you understand and listen to all my previous shows, you'll find out that your employer took money from your birth certificate of state and paid you your salary. In other words, you paid yourself to work. And I have to assume that the majority of you punched a clock. So you gave them some time and blood, sweat, and tears or whatever to go to their job and produce something for them, and you got paid for it. Well, that's called labor, not wages. I'm trying to get you. There is a difference between wages and labor. Wages is a profit that someone gave to you. Labor is what you put into it, your time, your sweat, and blood or whatever, you know, calluses, whatever you have, you've done on your job, you did that yourself. It came from your state where you punched out your time was used for this. You got paid for your time. Your time is exempt from taxes, people. It is exempt from taxes. So if you do file a 1040, don't file it on line one. It is considered a federal income withheld. Listen to me again. Federal income withheld is tax exempt, and it's also things that that you put into it, your labor. Someone take money out of your estate. Someone say you owe them money, and they have a routing number and account number at the bottom of the coupon that state that you owe them. It came from your estate. It is tax exempt. Now, they're reporting it to you, but the problem is on our end, people, because you're not educated to know that this is exempt. You are exempt from paying taxes, not reporting it. You still need to report it, but you don't be paying any taxes. You will get a larger refund. Actually, as a matter of fact, uh, a federal withheld or a federal income withheld is almost 100% refundable. There may be some small, depending on if you're filing that 1041, which is your state and tax, there is a little bit of uh, deductions that you that you must subtract from your gross. And if you want to know what it is, Again, Title 26, USC 1. Title 26, USC Section 1. And when you go down, it has different areas. If you're married, uh, and let's take an example of 250000 which is going to be a drop in the bucket if you listen to Mr. Rice. That's a drop in the bucket that you'll be able to get back. But if you just take the $250,000 that you made through the year, that you reported that you made through the year, you will find out if you're married, uh, 77000 has to come out of your 250000 And they all got the same tax rate, 39.6%. So all of these have the same tax rate. We're just going to look at the cash value that is subtracted out of your gross. And if you... Uh, a single is $79,000 coming out of that two hundred fifty. If you are um, head of household, like most women are, uh, over children or men may have to take care of their children, I believe it's like 77000 
that you would have to subtract out of your gross of 250. But if you are an estate and a trust and anything over $7,500, $7,500, you only could get, what, $2,125 taken out of your gross. Now, we have to understand that a a state trust and a state according to that section one, would have to refer to a 1041 because you can't do a trust in a state on a 1040. So we have to crank it up to a 1041. And we are an estate. An infant is a decedent of an estate. An infant is a decedent of meaning death of an estate. It is a grantor of a trust. So you are an estate trust. And if you want to talk to your tax person, agent, you could refer to it in the Internal Internal Revenue Manual, uh, Section 21.7.13.3.2.2, number two, the definition of infant. We are all infants. Again, 21. Point seven, point thirteen, point three, point two, point two. number two, the definition of infant. You are an estate. People, I guarantee you, if you act under that estate, you won't be penalized on a lot of things in court. If you announce in court that you have an estate, they would dismiss your case. Because the judge is supposed to be the trustee for the estate. That's what public trustees are. They are working for the estate. But if you walk in there saying you're an individual, you you know, that you give your name and they're making you as an individual, then you're going to have to spend some money or some time in jail. That's the bottom line. You need to let them know who you are. You are an estate. Walk in the courtroom, have your birth certificate in your hand, in front of you, showing the judge, I'm submitting my estate trust to be submitted as evidence in this courtroom, and I'm here as a representative of this estate to set off the debt, Your Honor, because all that judge is, and he's not really a judge, he's just an administrator for a corporation that you don't even have a contract with, but you accepted you didn't rebuttal anything that they sent you so they're assuming that you have a contract with them and your body need to be there to answer to whatever charges they're giving you but when you do go so should you, you go ahead should you um should you send them notice before you go or just take it down there with you when you go no, you, you, I, I would send them notice. If you send them notice that you hit a discharge of debt, matter of fact, I have so often sent them a uh, optional form 90, optional form 91, and standard form 28. I send those forms in, and the people, I did about 10, 11 people. Each one I went to court, they went to court, but they asked them to go out in the hall before the judge even came in and say that you're police officer didn't show up. You know, they have some excuse for each and every one of them, but the point is their case got dismissed. Because once you present a bond to them, and that's what these forms are, they're called GSA bonds, and these bonds, 
was is able once you submit a bond in and is off your birth certificate, then there's really nothing they can do. They have to accept that bond. So those are things that I would submit in before you walk in the door. So and you know when you walk in, Your Honor, did, did you not receive my bond? Because if not. I have copies of it here, and I will give it to you, and you can reevaluate this, or I could come back in another hour or whatever for you to view the bond that I sent in. So once you have a bond, they're going to have to dismiss the case. You got you gave them insurance saying that this is going to be paid off, and they have no reason not to accept it. But these are things that little things that you need to do. Again, this is tax season, and I'm trying to help you with that W two which is an OID, and I'm looking at um, the Internal Revenue Manual 6209, Section 2. And if you look at Section 2, they have tax classes where they're telling you what the classes are. And you'll find a W-2 and 1099s are a tax class 5. But a 1040 and a 1041 is in a tax class too. Now, this is something that you can have. Take it to your tax agent and say, why are you filing a tax class two on a tax class five returns? You know, why are you filing? You know, my little seven-year-old niece know the difference between a five and a two. A five do not equal a two. So why are you filing the wrong form my W-2 on a return that's a, that is a tax class 5. A W-2, uh, I'm sorry, is a 2. A W-2 and a 1099 is a tax class 5, whereas a 1040 and a 1041 are tax class 2. What is the difference? See if your tax man knows the difference because you are being ripped off. But if he does put it on that form, then you have to change the contents of that wages and income. That W-2 is a wages and income statement. You didn't have wages. You had labor. So you have to convert it. You have to correct that that wage into labor, and that is done with a W-2C. A W-2C is a correction to correct the W-2. So it's no longer wages and income as they stated. It will become federal income withheld. And federal income withheld, and if you're looking at, I see the recent um, 1040 is line 17, where they say federal income withheld. That is the line you need to be putting your total W-2 price in there, a charge, whatever that amount is need to be put on line 17. Now, knowing that it is a federal income withheld, if you go down to the next section there, it is refund. That means there are no deductions from the gross. There are non, there are no exemptions from the gross. And where you ask for your social, do not use the two dashes, the social with two dashes. You will use the social with no dash unless you found it under a a, a, a trust or a, or a business where you have an EIN number, then you use one dash. So you either file it under the one dash, under one of your, I call them, we talked earlier last, well, a couple of months ago, we were talking about avatars or assignees. 
those are the people that should be filing taxes for you, not under your social. Avoid your social. You know, you could cross where it says social. I don't know, cross it out if it got the squares and the line. Just cross it out and underneath it, put your EIN number or your tax exemption number. Because you are exempt. You know, you do not pay taxes on what came from your estate in the first place. Please understand, they have no funds to pay you anything. Anything they pay you, whether it's regular salary job or hourly job, is coming from your estate. You gave them your social and your signature on the W-4 or some kind of, you know, application you filled out for the job when you first came in, and they have been taking funds out of your estate. Now, they don't want to pay taxes because anything that comes out of your estate must be reported as a taxable interest. There must is taxable. Any all transactions are taxable, but they are to be reported as tax. I mean you're gonna pay anything, but it has to be reported as a tax. But you make sure that you correct it to make sure that it's reported as exempt, a tax exempt item. It's a tax exempt amount by using your exemption ID, which is your social without dashes or an EIN number if you're filing under some kind of trust. So you'll be using those type of information uh, that you'll be putting on these tax forms. But I'm not recommending that you may not do it, you do it, but at least take in the 6209 show the person that these are, uh, yet you look at uh, the tax rate and understand that that W-2 is under an OID section. So you notice on line 17 where it says federal income um, withheld, then it says also the uh, 1099. So basically a W-2 is a 1099. It's just they use another letter for it. But a W-2 equals a 1099. So then again, we go back to the title of this whole object, this whole subject. Uh, IOU, a promissory note. Anytime someone say you owe money, and they normally give you the remedy because no one can really tell you that you owe anything unless they give you the remedy to pay for it. The remedy is the coupon. They gave you a blank check because if you look on the bottom of the coupon, there's a routing number and an account number telling you that they took funds out of your account. How do you know that? Well, let's take it from the IRS. The IRS has a publication 1212, page 7, under the now the new, the new uh, publication 1212, the section that says nominee is in the middle column. It used to be in the left column on the 2014, but now they got a new one out, and I'm not sure if it's a 2019 publication, but anyhow, it's in the middle. It says nominee. Read it. If you're the holder, and don't take you as being uh, Mr. Rice or Miss Beverly. No, no, or you. No, you is them. This is their newsletter. This is their publication. This, excuse me, this is what they're supposed to be reading, not you. You don't have access to this. So I'm letting you know what they're doing behind the scene. Publication 1212, page 7, nominee. 
They are the holder of the debt instrument and have received a 1099 OID with their tax identification number and someone else's funds. So that means that someone else's funds would be your estate. Your estate is giving it to the nominee, which would be the public servant, public official, um, the, well, we call them public trustees. And when they take funds out of your account, they are the payer. On a 1099 OID, it's like a receipt that they receive that they took money out of your estate, where it states that you are the payer and they are the recipient. And then they're supposed to file another 1099 where they are the payer and you're the recipient. Why? Because if someone takes money out of your estate, they're supposed to return it back to you. They're supposed to return it to the principal. Well, nobody here got a check. No one here got an OID. Why? Well, if you read that second half, that second OID that they fill out, it says that it has to be returned to each owner. And when you sign that contract, you you sign it as a debtor, not as a owner. You're saying, I will pay you every month on this light bill, on this gas bill, on this student loan, on this house note, on this credit card. You sign as a debtor. You did not sign as a owner. Now, if you send in these coupons or these bills, and maybe you want to, uh, one way to do it is attach a 1099A. A 1099A, to me, the A stands for alert, but it also means abandonment. And when you say abandonment, you check box five saying that, is the borrower liable to pay the taxes? Yes. They took the money out, and they're supposed to pay taxes on it, but they didn't. So you reported that they abandoned paying taxes, and you're going to report it. And you're alerting. The the ACE, to me, stands for alert. 1099A, you're alerting the IRS. So they know to go over to them and say, wait a minute. Did you take some funds out of this man's estate? Yes or no? Here's the account number. Here's the amount. They really can't deny that fact. So the IRS is supposed to get with them, have them return the money in their escrow account, and we won't go too into details about that. But in other words... They're supposed to be set it up so that they will send you the OID and um, refund you the funds that they took out of your estate. Now, all this could be done at the end of the year, or you can do it if you want to do it, you know, every month with a 1099A on all the bills you you send into these uh, public trustees. It's up to you. That's what you would do, what, what you need to do. So some of the things, again, you need to ask for your wages and income statement from the IRS. You also want them to send you the 1099A, the 1096, which is like a cover letter, and a 1099OID. These are red. Red is blood. It's coming from the real person, you know, as opposed to W-2s and the W-2C, they're in black, you know, there's the, some forms is in black and some forms that's in red. So the red ones, they have, they're scannable. They have to go back to the IRS or the Department of Treasury. 
to be reported to the Department of Treasury, and you're letting them know what's going on. Ask the owner, ask the real person, because you're setting yourself up, you know, on the OL. If you're doing an OID on the A, when you send on the A, you're letting them know you were the borrower, the lender, and they were the borrower. But when you set up the OID, you set it up like publication 12, 12 states, where they, whoever the public trustee, would be the payer and you the recipient. And the count number, if you're the recipient, the count number that's underneath there is where you're going to want to put your money in, your bank account, your routing number, and your bank. You don't use the same account number that the money came out of. That was their account. That's what a lot of you screwing up on these OIDs. You're sitting there putting the same account number that the money came out of, and you're putting back in it because you're using that same account number. No, you want to put in an account number that you want your money deposited in at your bank. Not out of their, uh, uh, their bank account. I, you want to put it in your bank. So you stick the account number where you want your money deposited in on those OIDs. Not there, because they're laughing at you. Wait a minute, these fools, they took money out of it, and then they put money right back into it? They're, 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 they don't know what they're doing. They're children. So those are some of the errors that you that I find a lot of people do. And then a lot of people did the OID, and they made themselves the payer. What do you mean? If you're the payer and they're the recipient, that means you're supposed to be giving them money. If that's not the way it works, the point is the OID is supposed to return it back to you. So they are the payer, and you are the recipient. You're supposed to be getting the money from them, not the other way around. Read the documents. Understand what you are filling out. Publication 1212, page 7, nominee, it tells you who are, what positions they're supposed to be on those OIDs. And I have to believe the IRS know what they're talking about. So I heard, I hear a lot of other people, they might say something different, but personally, I feel the IRS knows what they're talking about. And they're telling you how to set it up under publication 1212, page 7, nominee. They received an OID from when they took money out of your estate as their receipt, and then they must file another one to return it back to you. And it states that you are the owner and that you're the recipient and they are the payer. So I'm going by what they say and filling out my form the way they're filling it out and not the way somebody else might tell you what to do. I'm trying to get it. I get it from the horse's mouth. You know, go to the company where you're going to be sending these forms to. You're going to send these forms to the IRS or the Department of Treasury. So I, su I suggest you fill it out the way they tell you you need to be filled out. Or where, let's say, the way their people supposed to be filling it out. But they don't do it all the time. So you may have to do it for them. That's why it's always good to give them notice. Hey, I'm the owner. Uh, here's a 1099A on the amount that you gave. I need you to give me the OID as the owner. If you do not, within a certain time, then I will send you this letter in saying that I received no response from you, and I'll send the OID my own self, representing you. So if anyone have any questions up to this point, come on down. Ask them. We already have our little half hour. 
Are there any questions on what we've been talking about in the last month or so when it's when we're talking about um, taxing, uh, asking for the forms you need to ask for? Why the wages and income statement? Because you want to know everyone that reported that they gave you a taxable uh, interest, that they gave you some taxable income. We do have a caller. Okay, go ahead, Carla. Uh, good evening, um, Devin, uh, Mr. Rice. Good evening. Good. Uh, I got a question. Um, the W two when you're when you're correcting that information, where on that form do you put? It says correct information, and it says one wages tips, other compensation. Do you do you scratch it out and then put down labor? Where, okay, hold on a minute. I'm looking at, I have a W-2 in front of me. Where did you say, where did you see correct information at? I don't see it there. No, no, oh, no, no. It's on that W-2C form. Okay, good. Okay, the W-2C, if you look at uh, number one, down there where it says previously reported, wages, tips, you notice they got wages and tips in the same line, right? Correct, yes. So that in itself tells you that it must be some kind of uh, profit. Capital gain. Okay. okay, just so you understand. I want people to understand. Wages and tips are in the same box. So that must mean that's a profitable gain. You put in what's on the W-2. But then it says uh, correct information. Wages, tips, other compensation in, in that box one next to it. Put z- yeah. I will put zero. I will put zero. I'm correcting it. I will put zero. And then go oh. over to the next box where it says previously reported. And notice it says federal federal income tax withheld. Now you'll be putting in uh, what they say, because you may have something on your W-2 that says federal income tax withheld. Right. So you may want to put that number in. But then when it says corrected information, wages, income, that's where you put that the, your total gross that you that – Okay, that's where you put the gross. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, because um, I've been playing like I bought the the um, the H and R block um, uh, tax program. Okay. And I was playing with the um, ten forty one to try to figure that tax program will not allow you to put anything into line one. <laughs> well, it's, well, that that the, the ten forty one is interest. Notice it said number one says interest. So interest right. is the interest is the same thing as federal uh, income material. Right. But what I would do is I would create a spreadsheet with all your listing, all your OIDs, like from your bank and uh, your W. And I was telling telling you uh, 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 telling you how you can use your your credit report. Those get three copies of uh, the three different companies and right. all those credit report numbers on there. They, they're, they're federal withheld. They, they're being held because they didn't give you a check. But they sit there and wrote down that this is what you owe. Well, they, they, and that, and, and that's it. in essence, at one time it came from your, uh, your estate, so it would be considered interest income, which is federal. They're federal and they're holding it. So that's called a federal income withheld. So all those numbers that you have on your credit report, other than um. Uh, what is it? Uh, this charge off, 
charge-off was the original creditor where he sent it back. He sent, he took the funds out of your estate, and then when it says charge-off, you know, charge is the second half of discharge, off is the second half of set-off. So he sent the money back to your estate, and he settled the public side of that debt and the private side of the debt. He discharged the public. He set it off on the private. So you don't go after that. Leave it alone. Okay. But these third-party debt collectors, now they went, they took you to court. They probably had a court. They got a decision on you. And then they, uh, uh, some kind of court judgment. And then they put it on your credit report. Well, I'm reporting them. Now, the question that I look at is whether or not to send them, because I was reading something about a 1099A where you saying that there were no tax, that they didn't pay the taxes on it. Because apparently right. they tried to claim they were the original debt collectors when we know they wasn't. But by filing 1099A, saying that uh, they abandoned paying taxes, and then sending maybe a few days later, sending the OID, guess what? The IRS is going to have to go to those third-party debt collectors. And remember, on the credit report, it tells you what? It gives you the amount that you initially opened it up and the date you opened it up. Okay. So there, it's not what you owe. It's what initially was opened up. That's the numbers you're going to total up. For the OID column under you know line seven, and I'm not sure. I didn't look at the 1040 that well. Does it 1041? Does it have a section four federal income withheld or OIDs? Is that on the 1041? Uh, yes. And what happens mm-hmm. is that uh, on that 10 on that 1041, they'll put all your income that's on your W two and your um, 1099 on line eight. Okay. Yeah, they'll put it all on line eight, and then your federal income withheld is on. Hold on a second. Am I getting it mixed up? Anyways, you get all your federal income tax withheld back. Yes, you always. That's why. Everything is a federal income withheld. Everything is because it came out of your estate, so that means they have to send it back to you. They didn't return it back to you. When they sent you a bill, they said they were supposed to send you a check. They might say the coupon is a blank check, but you you still didn't recognize it as a check. The coupon was a blank check, but you didn't fill it out properly and send it back to them. So in other words, they're still holding the funds because you didn't get it in your in your bank, in your pocket. So they're still holding it. All right. I, I got one more question. Cause, um, now, Go when you're setting up your trust, are you doing a revocable trust or a irrevocable trust? Because what I found out is that on a revocable trust, you can't file at uh, 1041, but on a irrevocable trust, you can file at 1041. Uh, well, again, I, when you set up a trust, like I was, you had to understand. I mean, you, you, I mentioned earlier, you, you, you might want to set up about several different trusts, and one of them okay. would be a tax, a trust just to file taxes with. Okay. So that that EIN number would be where everyone, all your family members, everyone is filing under that trust. Period. It's like a father and all the wife and the children, everybody filing under his social. So you're gonna okay. file everything. And the whether it's irrevocable, revocable, uh, public, or, or private, or uh, uh, 
uh, equitable. It don't. It, it's the language that's inside the what they call it indenture. Okay. And indenture okay. Gotcha. Instructions that you're giving the trustee. And the UCC, they call it a uh, uh, security agreement. The security okay. agreement in a in a UCC one is where you're giving the the you're telling the what the state is giving the secure party. But in a trust, it's called it indenture, and all it is is instructions that you're telling the trustee what they okay. are to do and not do. So that irrevocable, whatever you want, all that is whatever you write in it. But setting it up at the IRS, it doesn't matter. They don't ask you one way or another, really. Okay. You just get a a regular trust, and then the language in the trust is how you determine whether it's going to be revocable, irrevocable, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. And and now, okay, I guess that's where the in, the indenture setup is, is that um, um, the bank that you choose, it's the trustee that's going to have access to the bank account. Correct. That would right. That would be one of the persons I had to set up a trust with somebody. Uh, I was his trustee, and yeah, I was the one that had to be there to give him my inf- information. So, yes, and they gave me the the card. Of course, I turned it over to you know ATM card. Of course, I turned it over to them to the okay. to the guy who setting it up. But you can you know you can have anyone access that account. You know, the trustee is the one that can put money in it and take money out, but you can always change it and make other people accessible to that account. Okay. I got it. Okay. All right. That makes it clearer for me now. Yeah. Of course, if they got an ATM card, they don't need, they can, they can do it outside the building, you know, put it, just put the card in and they could deposit money in those ATMs as well. You can deposit money. I don't think anyone has found deposit money. It's who could take it out. And you've got an ATM card, so you can always take it out at your wheel. You know what I'm saying? I got you. I got you. Yep. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Does it make thank sense? you, caller. All right. Thank you. Okay. Any any other callers? Right. Come on, no, people. And the, this call is- in, and the call-in number is 323-642. One five eight six three two three six four two one five eight six, and so this is just uh, in the bank when you setting up your um, when you set setting up your account, your trust account. So it, it doesn't matter if you don't. It could be just a regular account. Don't have anything to do with non interest and all of that. No, no, it doesn't. You, I mean, mm-hmm. you could set up an account that you deposit the money in, and it would be just a regular uh, uh, EIN number because the trust would have an EIN number. Of course, somehow right. that number, you could set up that name of that trust to be set up as a business with the state or the county so that the bank can open it up because they won't open up an account unless they know uh, it's, it's uh, approved by the bank or the county, so it's not used for money laundering or whatever that people be doing with stuff. So they're going to ask for some kind of information, which to be, you could do a DBA on it. You know, it, it doesn't matter. All you're doing is doing it on the name. It doesn't matter whether the name is a state trust business. It doesn't matter. But a DBA, do a business as where well, now is registered with the state at the county level, so no one could um, use that name again and stuff like that. But the point is, 
the bank just needs to get some recognition that this county or the state uh, knows about this because it's doing business in the state of in your state. So if you know, set it up. Hopefully, if anyone got questions, this is the time to answer. But I'm just telling you, and I'm. That was a very good call because he's talking. He understands that W-2 has to be converted to a W-2C. You need to correct it because if you see the word wages, it's right next to the word tips. Well, we know tips. If we don't know what the word wages mean, I think everyone knows what the word tip means. That means you gave something out of your pocket to some male or female at a restaurant, a club, or whatever. It came out. So that was a profit that they received. It did not come out of your estate. It wasn't called interest income. There's two types of income. Interest income, which come from your estate, and capital gain income, which come from someone else. GM, Ford, Chrysler. You're coming out of your pocket to buy that car. So that's a, a profit for them. It's called capital gain. They have to file taxes on what they get from the customers who purchase the vehicle. But that is not like your job where they're taking money out of your estate and paying you. You're paying yourself. So, therefore, when you report it, we've been reporting it incorrectly. I hope you all understand what I'm saying. You are reporting it incorrectly. You're reporting it as a capital gain, as a profit. No, it is not. The W-2 is not a profitable um, statement. You have to change it to labor. They should have said labor and income, labor income, but they didn't. Now, I know we got some self-employed folks out there, okay? So you get 1099 OID. Well, if you file it on line 17 and all the money or uh, on the 1040, line 17, where it says federal income withheld, and 1099, that means you're supposed to be getting all that funds back for the 1099, whichever 1099 are, or um, I think uh, from the, okay. from the tax, okay. from the um, Social Security is a K. You know, those are, those things you're supposed to be, if you file them in the right area, then below it, there are no deductions and there are no uh, exemptions. It's just refund. So you should be getting it all back. So it should be refund. So therefore, now the question is, I don't know and not not understanding, and I haven't looked into it thoroughly, but maybe someone out one is listening audience can. If you do have your own business, I don't see where you need to be filing the 1040 or 1041. Seems like there should be another tax form out there for you who's running your own business. Uh, I, I'm not sure. When I was I put that challenge out there, somebody Come back if you know of another form, an IRS reporting form that deals with someone who's self-employed. Because you, you're not an individual. Um, you're not well, in a I state remember, of trust. I remember reading uh, something on the IRS that was saying that if you are uh, LLC and they consider, because that means you are a member, they consider you under the same category as the individual. And I got to go back and find that. I'm going to read that again. Next week, I'll I'll have it. 
Yeah, well, it 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 makes it difficult. I mean, because the LLC, which is a limited liability company, mm-hmm. is not a corporation. Mm-hmm. Understand that right. LLC means limited liability company. It's not a corporation. Most corporations they have exemptions and stuff. They don't come after your personal. That's why you, if you're gonna do anything, you should look for a, a S corp, S corporation, mm-hmm. C corporation yeah. is like GM, Ford, and Chrysler. That's the big wheels. The S corporation would be a small company, and you're even allowed to sell shares if you want a, a, some kind. You need some funds. You can sell shares to your business to build up some funds for something that you want to uh, purchase for your business. So you can sell shares and then give back periodically so much money every month back to the person, like dividends uh, uh, in your business. You're giving them dividends back so that they get not only their money, but maybe 15% above what they gave you. So you're paying them every month for a six-month period or whatever period you decide on. But that's for the S corporation. You know, you can sell dividends out of uh, shares, out of your stock, you know, uh, out of your business. To help your business to run, but we're not we have to do a business one later on. But this is basically right now we're just talking about how you could get now. Think about it. All year, I've already told you all that all year, uh, beginning of last year, that you first give your HR Human Resource Department that W four T. Now, what is W four T again? You create you you sign a W four, allowing them to take the funds. Uh, Social Security, FICA, federal, you know, you allow them to take a lot of money out of your account, medical, some other things are coming out of your check every month, every week, whatever, however you're getting paid. You could terminate it. W4T would terminate it, meaning that they can't take any funds out of your check unless you give them permission. So the W4T says no, no more permission, none, none. So they so what will, happens, we have what happens at, when it comes to tax season? So how do yes. a person, if they have not took any taxes out of your paycheck for the whole year, how do you handle that when it comes to this time of the year? And that's that's the nice that's the nice part about it. You're still going to get a W two. So you just do what you've been, what I just said you do, you should be doing. Correct it. It's not wages, correct it to labor. So what happens? You got more money through the year, and now at the end of the year, you're going to get the whole check back to you. So You get it? Yeah, so if somebody, just say they already took taxes out somebody's check, so can they, they can go back in. To their job and and do that. Uh, what you said was for what? The W four T. I mean that they might have to okay. do it for next year. Whatever whatever been taken yeah. out, you can't really you can't really change that. Right. All you can do you know, right. you're going to get a gross you're going to get the gross number back on the W two. All you're going to do is file that gross number. But I was just trying to tell but, people, and you and I know somebody who did this, did something that, of a W two. Uh, a W4T where he got a what $460 increase in his check because he didn't have anything taken out. See, so when yeah. you and I know someone with well, it, work it, it does work. That W4T mm-hmm. works, and you send it to your HR and say, Please don't take nothing out of my check. Is a W4T, 
So that way you'll get a bigger check through the year. And then at the end of the year, you file it as labor. You file the tax form as labor. You got to correct the, the, the wages and income statement. I don't know how to make it any simpler because you crying out have no money and I'm trying to tell you how to increase yourself. So, cause, so what's that? And uh, you know, again, let me use. I'm gonna use this example again, and hopefully, people who's listening will understand this example. I have a job that I made fifty thousand dollars through the year. So they gave me, they they gave me a salary every every month or whatever, and I made fifty thousand that I that I put in a bank. But see, they gave me fifty thousand, which I made. They send me a W two at the end of the year. For fifty thousand, so that means I'm claiming a hundred thousand. I'm up to a hundred thousand now. The fifty thousand I put in my bank, so my deposit in the bank. The bank is supposed to give me an OID for fifty thousand dollars. So now I'm up to a hundred and fifty thousand. Now remember, I'm broke at the end of the year. That means the fifty thousand I put in the bank, I wrote checks and debit and credit on that fifty thousand. So that is another OID for what I deposit. Now I'm at $200,000. And, you know, and I'm just doing my job and my bank. There are other things out there that you can OID as well. And if you have receipts, let's say you went grocery shopping and you didn't write it off your bank account, but you gave them cash. Well, all the receipts that you made through the year goes on a form 1047. You total everything up through the year and do a 1047 of all the total receipts. Now, remember, I think these receipts have, I call it uh, invisible, invisible ink on them, <laughs> where they yeah. seem like they disappear or if you rub your hand and smear. So when you get these receipts, make sure you make a copy of them so that at the end of the year, total them up or you get to start yourself off with a quicken or a Excel or whatever, where you will start putting the totals of what you spend on a receipt and the stores you got it from. But that, all I'm just saying here is that you will be able to get a refund, anything that comes out of your pocket through the year, you're able to get it back because everything has been prepaid. Your car has been prepaid. Your house has been prepaid. Your groceries, all the food in the grocery market, has been prepaid, people. The receipts is just you showing you have ownership to it. Now, when you do a, uh, let's say you you got a, a student loan and you pay, the student loan was for uh, $50,000, where you would put that student loan on a 1040 on line 17, and it's not a taxable issue. Now the 1040 is a certificate of title for that student loan. Because you're going to put the amount on that student loan, and then you're going to attach some bill that says that you had a $50,000 loan. So you could either give them the, show them the application. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, say that again the, about the 1040. The 1040 is a, a what? The 1040 is a certificate of title for the uh, whatever bill that you're trying to submit in. You do. Uh, it's like you, each one, each bill would have a separate 1040. You're identifying what this 
what this bill is, and a, and a certificate of title is showing your ownership of it. You know, so that's what the 1040 okay. is, is being used on line 17. It's being used as a certificate of title for whatever you were purchasing, whether it's a student loan, whether it's a car, whether it's a house, that, whether you got the maximum amount, or what your credit report. People, if you got a, and you're from a third party debt collector and they say you owe something, then you put it on that 1040 on. The line that says income withheld, federal income withheld, because at one time, even though the, the original one took it out, the original creditor took it out, but somehow that debt collector thinks he owns it, and he's coming after you for it when he wasn't there to take it out in the first place, but he's trying to get something for nothing. Now what you're doing is by putting an OID on him, the IRS is going to go to him and say, hey, I need this amount of money to come out of your estate out of your business because you claim and you messed up his credit report saying that he owes you. When when we all know you originally didn't even take it out, but I'm still, you, it's still being reported and you're the one that's claiming it. You claim there was a contract because you went to court and you put it on his credit report. So guess what? Those credit people may be, they might stop sending, going after uh, people's debts and coming after you when they know that you can pl- claim it and they're going to come out of their account when they never withdrew it out in the first place. They never drew it out in and the I- first place. IRS is coming after them for the funds because you claimed it and it has to be returned back to you. And I know a person that um, the third party debt collector went after them for a car that they had 10 years ago or something, took them to court or something they did, but they ended up taking this person's car away from them, and this was a third-party debt collector. It wasn't even the original people. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's some of the things they, they be got, doing. And, and they got him paying for a car he don't even have. And then, again, this is the, they could do that to, to your home. I have known people who they paid their house off, but no one asked for the promissory. No, you didn't ask for the IOU. If you pay it off, what you the way you're supposed to do is on the last payment of your home or even your car or whatever, that what when you give them that last payment, they are to give you the IOU, which is a promissory note. They're supposed to give it back to you because now you don't owe anything. Because if you don't, someone down the line who gets that promissory note could come after you just like you just said. Someone came after them 10 years later saying that you owe them a debt. If you had got that promissory note the day you made that last payment, then you don't have to worry about that. Now that you got that promissory note, da-da, you just got the original amount for what you do. You OID it and get your money back. Think about it. Your house was $200,000 at the end of your payment. You get the IOU, you get the promissory note. That's another, that's $2,250,000. You will get it back. All the payments that you made in it, you will be getting it back. We have a caller. Go uh, ahead, caller. 863-547. Good evening, Mr. Rice and Ms. Beverly D. Um, Happy New Year to you both. Uh, thank you for taking a call. Happy New Year. Um, 
so the uh, Mr. Rice, the process, because uh, just after from listening to the, the calls regularly, and I know you've mentioned it a lot of times that we've kind of all we filed the taxes incorrectly by placing the, the W two is should is 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 according to the uh, sixty two or nine manual is actually a gift in estate tax. So now if if I'm going back to amend these, um, and I was looking this up today, I, there, there's a form. It was a ten forty X. What 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 would you say would be the process with that? Am, am I to when I go to amend these? Do put everything on the W two C, and 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 then a ten forty X or what 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 would be the process to actually kind of just correct it all? Seeing how from the very beginning that I started filing, I was filing it incorrectly. Yeah, uh, if you filed it, most people have filed on ten forty. Yeah, the ten forty X is a new correction, and then what you have to do is show that instead of the wages as being a profit, that is it is actually labor because it's set on withheld. And you're attaching the W-2C to the W-2 that was given back to them before, and they have to redo the tax over. The last one that they receive is the one they have to do over. Okay, okay. And so, again, it would be – so for now, for each year, because, again, from what I've heard you say before, we can go back – I mean, we can go back some years by filing a 709 because that's, that's more so what I'm referring to. The 709 yes. would be the gift in the state. So would, now would I be attaching a W-2C to each 709 form that I file for each year going back? Yeah, because I, I still believe in 709, which I haven't gotten into it deeply. But from what I'm hearing, okay. even in the 709, you still need to put a 1040 in there. Remember, the 1040 is a certificate of title of whatever the the, the uh, cost is that you're doing, wherever you uh, you know trying to correct and charging. So you still and on uh, well we, we know on the older 1040s they were uh, line 65 you know where it says payment but the new ones is line 17 now the 1040 of uh, 2019 is line 17 but the point is that you may still have to do that and include those on the the 709 I haven't really have anyone who knows how to do it and I've got people learning it right now and so you can go back as far as you want to go back. So right. it, you know, it, the 1040X, you know, if you're going back three years, whatever, because the 1040 and 1041 can only go back three years. So for those people who just want to go back for three years, because that's 709, you can still do it, but it's going to take, it may take a little time and studying to do. But in the meanwhile, the 10 uh, last three years, you can correct that with a 1040X and make sure the, okay, W2, okay. the W2C, so you you're correcting it. And you're going to be putting zeros in the box where it says, uh, or, you know, where it says uh, federal wages and income uh, corrected, zero. You ain't correcting that. All you doing is stay wherever it was before. But now when you're under the federal income uh, withheld, now that's where that correction is being done. You're saying that these are labor charges, that they're exempt. Okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, because some people looking at the W-2C as if it's going to say labor somewhere. No, it's not going to say labor. Anything that's federal income withheld is automatically exempt from taxes, period. Federal income, federal withholding means that you gave them something, and you they can't tax you for something that was given to them. So the term federal okay. income withheld is exempt from taxes. Just like a labor, 
is exempt from taxes, just like interest is exempt from taxes. If you look at a 1041, number one says interest, interest income. Now, I share this with you all. You won't hear it anywhere else. We'll go ahead and look at uh, 26 U.S.C. 6049, 20 U.S.C. 6049, and 6050J. Those are 1099 OID and 1099As, and they are interest income, reporting interest income, OID. So OID, and the W-2, we just stated it's the same tax class five as OID. And old saying, if it walks like a duck, quack like a duck, then it's a duck. It's a duck, right. Because, see, and, and again, I do want to thank you, too, for the information you've put on Scribe. Because I got on Scribe, and, and I, I went ahead and paid the membership because I wanted to see the full documents. But, again, it's it's a lot of excellent work that you've, you know, dropped on Scribe, just the OID chart and uh, the diagram. Uh, and I'm actually following one right now to actually complete a 1099A with what you just stated as far as the car note. And, 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 and again, just being able to fill that out correctly and, and, and take care of that. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Okay, and, and okay. I, I had an update. Make sure you get the update one because I had I updated it last year where the one I had maybe a couple of years old. So I updated it a little bit, you know. Make sure you get the one okay, that says then, OID diagram updated. Got it. Um, now, and, and Ms. Beverly D., I heard you mention, too, mm-hmm. that you knew of someone who located a 709 tax form because I, too, was looking for one, something to do online. And if I couldn't find it online, I was like, okay, I mean, I would, it, it. would it hurt for – well, is, is it possible I we could I, – I, like I, we could get that information because I don't. I was I was wondering. Okay, can I go through TurboTax to do the 706 or because I just really want to no. go back. I want to go back as far as possible. <laughs> no, no, we can't yeah. do. We have to. What is? Go ahead, Beverly. Give him the information. Drake, whatever. No, I don't. Uh, I, I I just went online and looked. When I just copied it off a of line when I was messing around with it. He, but he talking about filing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm talking about yeah, being able to. I didn't hear what he said. What did you say, Carla? Yeah, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I was I was talking about like actually being able to file online. Like, I, have you located software? Oh, like an yeah. Online software? Okay, yeah. I got your number. I I I'll give it to you. What do you remember? What it was, uh, Mr. Rice? Are I you talking about that dollars? Was it Drake? I don't know. I know it's I didn't see three hundred dollars or something. It is. But the name I, of the program I, I, was Drake. What was the name of the program? Drake wasn't it Drake? D, uh, D- R A K E. Yeah, I, I believe it was up. called the Drake. Drake. You, you said, Mr. Rice. You said Drake. D R A K E. Yeah. I, you you can't do it in TurboTax or tax cut. I, I don't think they got the 709 in there. No, they don't. They don't. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then again, I, I just, I again, just going off of Drake. Well, what you said now, we, we for us to submit that, you know, and any mistakes that we did make, the IRS would correct it. They would kind of correct that for us. So that's, that's kind of what I was going off of. Um, another question, too. As far as I, someone asked something about trust, and I also heard it's possible to put the bank account in a trust. Is that is that is that again 
where you have to set up, um, you need trustees for this process when you're just putting your bank account in the trust? Yeah, if, if you open up a trust at a bank, then the trustee is going to be the one that would be whoever going to be putting money in and out, which is usually the trustee. Then they have to be there with you to open it up. You, your name could be usually included in there, but the trustee is the one that's going to get all the information that they need to put money in and out of the trust. That's what I had to do one time with some, with a, with someone who he opened up a trust and I was his trustee, so I had to be there to fill out the paperwork with him. But also, Carla, go online, too, and read about the different trusts. And uh, Yusuf has videos about the trust because I think you can be the executor and the uh, trustee. You just can't be the beneficial, beneficiary. Okay, okay. And see, and I guess in the, in the, in terms of a of a bank account, you know, okay, right. I have, you know, I have a, you know, funds being deposited into the bank account. You know, I mean, I, I would want to benefit from those. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, well, again, yeah, you got I mean, an ATM. You got an ATM, then you can go into any bank anywhere in the world with an ATM card and get the money out. So what's the problem? And no matter who put it okay. in there, you're able to get it out with an ATM machine. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Well, I, um, I, I see what he's saying. He might have a hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand exactly. in there. Something <laughs> happens to him. You know that other person can come in there and just clean it, clean the whole bank account. But me myself, I'm the, I'm the trustee for my trust account at the bank. I'm the executrix and the trustee, and so the bank set it up. They. I mean, they open my account that way. I just can't be the beneficiary. Yeah, well, again, okay. I know in I know in Michigan, if you look at the laws, they got laws for trustees, and believe me, mm-hmm. it's almost like a Benedict Arnold situation. Is a trustee breach yeah. of a trust by a trustee? They almost gonna get there or get hung. You know what I'm just saying? That is a serious crime because you're gonna have an indenture where you tell them what to do, and if they rip you off. Believe that's serious. Of course, you're going to have their information, too. You're going to have their social, their taxes. You're going to have their information. So they do something to you, you automatically can come and get go after them. Now, he's he thinking about if something happened to him, and instead of his family getting it or whoever he wanted it to go to, somebody got that account could just go in there and clean it out. You know, just now, well, you think about it. Yeah, that and I I know that I know people where that has happened, but again, you got beneficiaries and stuff who's supposed to be the ones that get it. I don't know how you set up something with the trust where upon being notified you died or whatever. I mean, there's there's slick ways of things of doing it, but again, that information on the trustee should be made available to all the beneficiaries. They are, and that's something people need to know. Don't be putting people down as beneficiaries and not letting them know that they're beneficiaries of account. Because banks will not tell you. The banks will not Uh tell you who the beneficiary is. They won't tell you. I know mama got an account in there and you know you're the beneficiary, but if you're not sure, you know, they won't even allow you to go in there. So information like when I did when I set up my trust and you're supposed to have a, a will, last will testimony and stuff and you register it at probate, and that's the one that they're going to be looking at when I die. And I, you know, I put, I notify everybody. I send them emails that I got this down at probate. So 
so everyone knows who's what and who gets what or whatever. But the point is being that, you know, there's no 100%. Again, quit dealing with folks that you can't really trust. That's something you have to, you know, that, and I guess that's why you, at one time people had ministers when they went to their church. They had their ministers as their trustee. I could believe one guy said, I wouldn't trust my minister. Well, why you? Why the heck you going to the church? I don't get that. Mm-hmm. If you can't trust your minister to be your trustee, why the heck are you going to that church? I don't know. It's a lot of stuff out there called online about the trust, a lot of books. I bought a trust book. You know, just do some research on it, then decide which way you want to go. Definitely. Thank, Christian, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think Christian Waters has some good examples of trust, if I'm not mistaken. Christian okay. Waters, and I, and I believe uh, uh, Yusuf Al praised him about his his book on that too. On trust. So, my, and my last question here, I'll, I'll kind of mute myself with this one now. So, once I've submitted these forms, the 1090, the the, the alert form, or the the 1099A, submitted that to the IRS, and and I guess the process in the IRS then alerts, you know, in my case, it would be the, the company that claims to have loaned me money for my, my, my vehicle. But in that normal case, is it likely that, okay, they'll say, you know what, we need to return the 1099 OID to him? Or, you know, could it be a process? Because I'm, I'm only kind of building this question to say once the account is settled, the car notice discharge has been taken care of, do I then send a form off to the CEO, CFO stating that now I want you to liquidate that bond that you set up in place? You would do that. Remember, when you give no, because you do the A, and if a few or maybe a week to go, I will automatically do the OID for whatever the amount that was on the A. Just do the OID anyway. The IRS can correct it if it's more or less money. But you remember, okay. you're giving carbon copies to them. So they see all of this going on anyway, because they're going to get carbon copies of the A, they're going to get carbon copies of the OID. And then after the account has been settled on the private side, because that's what you're doing with the OID, you're settling it on the private side. Publicly, they're supposed to get send you whatever funds they made on those surety bonds. But I understand you may have to particularly send them a letter as one of your assignees saying that, I'm here to terminate and liquidate the bond that was created and the trust that was created on this account. And that's what I've been working on now, how you liquidate it. Now, I'm trying to go. I have a couple of people who are construction workers, and they were third part, or we called it um, subcontractors. And how, if a subcontractor finished a job for the contractor, how do he inform the contractor to terminate and liquidate the bond that was created when he first got the contract. That might be the form you do, or just a letter or something stating this. You, I need you to uh, terminate this trust, you know, because they, they are created a trust. They're called debtors in possession. They're in possession of the trust. As bankrupt corporations, they are debtors in possession of your trust, of your uh, titles. You know, they may have a certificate title of your vehicle. Well, you want them, you want to surrender that back to them and say, I want it back. I, I want you to terminate it and liquidate it. And every state should have some rules and codes to state how to liquidate and terminate certificates. Okay. Thank you. Okay, Paula. Thank you. 
Yeah, you. We still got to do that because they're still making money off of us. And I did that. I haven't heard anything from the state. So the next action for me is to go to the uh, Security Exchange Commission and the Secret Service and say that these people are operating counterfeit securities, counterfeit securities, because they're making money off of something that I didn't give them permission to. Because I know I signed a contract at the beginning, but when I surrendered it back to them, they were supposed to terminate liquidated. So if they're operating and have not returned no funds that they made off of me on that trust, then they are committing counterfeiting money on the Security Exchange Commission in the open market. And that in itself is a very criminal offense. And the Secret Service and the Security Exchange Commission should be the ones definitely notified, maybe at the same time, the CID, Criminal Investigation Division, at the IRS as well. So this time, and what we way have, of doing enforcing, enforcing. Go ahead. Okay, we another have call. another caller. Four one four seven three six. Four one four. Hey, how you doing, Beverly and, and, and Myra? Great. Hey, how, Great. You how are you doing? I'm doing well. I've got a quick question. Um, I have one, but I want to kind of piggyback one of the questions off the previous caller. Um, and it was in regards to the uh, trust. Is it? Ha- I heard before um, on one of the calls, Myron, that you were saying that it's not wise for once you separate yourself as a living being from your avatar or your corporation that's been created for you. Is it not? Is it wise for you to then be as a living being, your lowercase name, um, wrote written out properly, to be the executioner or the trustee of the trust that is now handling the actual estate of your corporate name, or should you have like um, a um, LLC or some type of corporation in between you and now the fictitious version of you? Well, I don't know. I, I mean, you said a lot of things, but what I'm going to put it like this. You as, an, as a man or a woman under your first and middle name, because that's what your mama gave you, your last name was already on the paperwork when they received it. So your first middle name is your given name. That would be the person, in my example, is they outside the graveyard. That's the living man and woman. They can't talk to no dead stuff. Although they have mm-hmm. on the gate would be your birth certificate. The birth certificate is your gate, but it is defined as a child. So it can't talk to those dead people either. They won't recognize a child. That's why when you go to court, they don't recognize you opening up your mouth because you were a child in the court. So you have to create, and it's like a play, you have to create your own characters or persons that you, that's going to represent you. Uh, and I would say create your own tombstones. I, I would say t- at least two of them. One would be the executor of your estate, and one would be your agent. Or another term could be secure party as your executor for UCC1, and the other one would be an ANC assumed name business. So you're going to have a business representing you in that commerce world, commercial world, and you're going to have a bank being your executor when you're dealing with finances and stuff, you know. So those are the two, and I call them assignees that you have a contract with. So you're going to have a contract. The living man through the straw man is going to have a contract. The straw man is the grantor, but the uh, uh, the uh, two, I'll call them assignees or grantees or whatever you want, 
to be your executor in your estate. And where do the where do I get those from? If you go into Canon Canon Law sixty twenty four, Canon Laws sixty twenty four, uh, Roman numeral nine and ten, it says a valid estate must have an executor, and a valid estate must have an agent to do the day to day operation. The executor is to administrate the trust, the estate. So those are the two items that you need to have. You should definitely have to need two people out there. Now, people can add a 98 on there, so there's a foreign trust as well. Because you may want to purchase, like my vehicle is under a foreign uh, foreign corporation. You should have a foreign corporation and a foreign estate. But I hear they kind of hard to get that foreign corporation. But if you can... Get a foreign corporation that needs a vehicle, so my vehicle is named under my foreign corporation. Or if you buy a house, it's foreign because you got a foreign corporation that purchased it. So a 98 would be another trust you set up. Remember I said then there's a trust for your taxes. There's a get-out-of-jail-free mm-hmm. trust. These are, these are all kind of trusts that you can create to represent you on the commerce side, but never the living first middle name being any part of that. They just, the the energy behind all of it. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't it a so way we, that you sign the document? You know, like if you sign in for the trust, you put the by, the colon, doesn't that change it with your signature, how you sign? Well, when, when you create these items, normally the person who's giving it to you, the ANC, they have it written in a certain way. Uh, if you did a bank, I did a bank, they had it written in a, for, for a certain way, and I signed it in the way that they gave it to me. So I, that, And I buy colon. Some of them I put colon in between the first mm-hmm. and last name. Or if it's the first middle, you put a dash between the first and middle name and the colon right. and the last name. There are so many different ways you can sign under these corporations, uh, you know, under the, the, these corporations or characters that you created. They're your characters. Right. They're not U.S. citizens. You created those characters, so they're not U.S. citizens. They're wherever you want them to be. Article 4 citizens at the bank, it would be Article 4. So, you know, because you create them for your play, so that therefore they're not controlled by the corporation at all. The guy had a, you you had a question you- on you? Had a question. Are you using your living, but you are using your signature, your God-given signature, to bring these entities into existence, though, correct? No, not necessarily. These avatars that you're making, you know, and and what would be, like, the best places to start these trusts? Are these trusts that you want on the record with an EIN number assigned to them individually or these trusts that you don't want? Yeah, they they have they have their own EIN number because they're operating for your estate for your child. It's like it was, like you know like guardians. These are my guardians for my child. They represent them in in the world of commerce because the child can't commerce. The child can contract, but that's about it. They can contract. The infant can still contract, but they can't operate. The infant can't operate. This is what people are screwing up. You you writing these folks arguing and fussing with them, and then you sign it as your name. Where well, they said you're an infant, they should send you a lollipop and say leave us alone. But they, but folks not recognizing, you better be talking to them under some kind of a bank or some kind of business that you created. That that business is registered with the state, you know, that or the county, and then you got a bank account that you can open up with it, a non-interest bearing account if you're going to be dealing with 
terminating, liquidating bonds that's way over $250,000, you're not going to want to put that in no uh, local commercial banks. They might go on vacation or holiday the next day and take all your money. So you need to go to private banks, either the Treasury Direct, or I'm talking to someone right now who's talking to somebody who's talking about how to open up a bank account at the post office. Post office had banks too. And open up this. And so there's another entity that could be privately held. Money could be held in it privately. But I'm just stating that, yes, no, you're not doing your estate. When you sign in it as the straw man, as I've been signing all these years, but I'm correcting that by saying by colon, uh, first dash middle colon last. That's how my regular signature would be. But for my bank, it'll be the first colon last for my business it would be the uh by colon uh the last capitalizing the last first letter and the last name colon first and middle would have first dash middle and it would be all small cap because that's the way i got it when i got my a and c all the other letters were small the only thing that was capitalized was the first letter and the last name and the last name was first so every signature is different. And when you sign, make a contract, you're going to show the difference between each and every one of those signatures. So you'll know when you sign it, who you sign it for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, when, and when I write a letter, when I address these letters to them, the first thing I have is an a executive office. The letterhead has an executive office. Then it will have the state name, my state name. And then underneath it, it will have who they're communicating with. So if I have the bank, it would be the first colon uh, last, and then I say a signee, you know, and that would that would be the person who would be signing it at the bottom. Then I have the address and my NAC number, which is an international address for that. My my uh, crib number and med number from the post office. You know, I don't use an address anymore. I use a crib number and a mem number. The post office gave me that. So I use that as my address. So I'm showing them I'm foreign because I don't have any number and street on there at all. So I try to be as foreign as I can be, but it still shows that that is my location. Okay. And I believe I have something to go to scribe. I have some uh, templates showing that. Okay. So uh, just one more question my, Well, that wasn't connected to the previous caller. I actually work for the post office, right? So if you get – if once I go through the authentication process and separate myself from my fictitious person, how, is there a certain kind of form that you will fill out then so that if you still want it or if you still are going to remain employed – where you are, you know, my my paperwork or whatever is necessary, where I will be still, um, I guess, have a no, distance you, or a separation no, between how they have me? No. Or would no. you just not be employed once you get that? It's a, it's a play. You can have as many characters as you want. You can be anything you want and still keep what they want you to have. Okay, people, mm-hmm. it's okay to have a driver's license. But understand that you are not the driver's license. That's a dead piece of paper. You're a three-dimensional man, and you let them know when the police stop you. I'm not in your jurisdiction. But here's what you're looking for. But I mean, here's a, a UCC one showing what you are looking for is control by my bank, or this is mm-hmm. control 
by my my business, and I got an ID that I created for that. So I want to show them the ID. I'm a bank. I got the I got the IRS form CP five seven five that said this is my ID with the EIN number. This is your ID. So you have that. You create an ID. You do a UCC one on there, or I do a non UCC. All this is saying what? I am not what you're charging. You're charging this flat piece of two-dimensional paper, but you're talking to a three-dimensional man. So quit trying to put me down. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of that, Myra, I just, okay, so do you have to have that all in place um, as far as your uh, authentication? Because, I like, I received a traffic citation, right, and they send it to me in the mail asking for a certain amount or they're going to restrict my license and do all these other type of things. Do I need to have that already established before I send that back and try to charge that off, or do, or is that something I, I can do at this point right now? Well, the first thing, first thing, uh, first thing you would, I would do is that you got to remember everything they give you is an offer. They're trying to offer a contract. That ticket is it offering you a contract? Now, if you don't do nothing, you accept the contract. If you just sit down, right down there, I don't accept your offer, and I do not want a contract with you, and send it to them. Because courts only deal with contracts, and they both have to be an agreeable partners. They got to be. It can't be one sided saying, "Yeah, you got a contract." with no. And when it goes to court, it has to be agreed by both parties. If one party don't agree with it, they can have a. They cannot have a court. So all you have to say on that, it, or that ticket, or notice, or whatever, everything is, is a contract. They're trying to contract with you. So you just say, I do not accept this offer, and I do not wish to contract with you. Thank you, and move on. So what they can do, they can you. So they they not going to mm-hmm. send him something saying that he didn't show up in court and whatever they do you know how they do put a warrant out. Uh, now what did what did uh, you uh, say so- a warrant was? A, a warrant is a security. It's a check. If you say uh, let me see the warrant and you look at it and it's got a mouth whatever just flip it over and endorse it just like you would a regular check. Look under the uh, Security Act of 1933. Security Act of 1933, which was May the 27th, and read security, and you'll see warrant is on that list. A warrant is a check. It's a security. And most warrants don't even have money attached to it because they, have, if you haven't been to court, they can't make no money on you. That's why they need a warrant because as long as you don't show up in court, they cannot put anything out on you. So, uh, so if you if they do if you are stopped and they say they want I want to see the warrant I'm not going until I look at the warrant and then when you see it endorse the back here let me sign the back of it because mm-hmm. you're supposed to have a if you go under and I can't recall uh, under the canon laws they define what has to be on a warrant for it to be valid and I have a checklist that I usually that I write up and I carry it with me so the warrant better have all this stuff on the checklist and if it does have it. Flip it over, sign it, and give it back to them. Say thank you. So that's what it so, is. It's nothing but security. And it's under, again, the Security Act of 1933, uh, May the 27th. And, and the first section says security. And it got a list of It has a list of all the security. I think down in about the third or fourth word at the bottom of that section says warrant. So 
just like off of like what Miss Beverly just said is that I uh I was supposed to be in court I guess earlier this week on the twenty first and I didn't show up. So that was, they listed the things that they might potentially do. So would it be wise of me to – I mean, if I called down there to ask them to reopen it or resend it, anything like that, wouldn't that be contracting verbally? Exactly. What you would – what I would do so is have someone – So now that the time has already there. passed. Yeah. Okay, well, have someone, have someone, not yourself, but have someone down – someone go down there and collect a, a certified copy of the warrant, and then you can endorse it and send it back to the court. Bye. Okay. Because the warrant is, like, again, Security Act of 1933. It lists warrant as a security. So if it's a security, endorse it. It's money. Actually, it's money, according to canon law, it's money that doesn't have, is a check that doesn't have any money in the account yet. Because they haven't, you haven't been to court. How are they going to set up something if your signature isn't on anything? Mm-hmm. But to, to nip it off at the bud, people, when you get the ticket, that's what you write on the ticket and send it back to them. I do not wish to contract. Everything is a presentment. Look at UCC 3 dash, what is it? 501 presentment. I think it's 501. Look at presentments and, and see that it's a presentment. It's an offer to contract. They want you to contract with them. Everyone wants you to contract with them. If I don't want to contract with you, then you know you can't charge me anything. You can't do nothing. Because it's again, if they did try to put something on you, then you better call the what I just told you, the Secret Service and the uh, uh, the Securities Exchange Commission, and say they're putting counterfeit securities. Because I don't have a contract with them, I didn't agree for them to put any money on me, to put anything out on me. Mm-hmm. That's a serious crime. Counterfeiting securities on the security on the open market—that's a serious matter. Mm. Okay, I appreciate you. Appreciate you. I have. What do you think about this, Myron? This just came to me, kind of thinking. When I, another call, I was listening to your last OID call, actually, and this came to my mind with still having a job. If 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 I'm operating where I'm um, basically saying that I'm not this straw man as I'm working and and I'm knowing that they're accessing my account, like you said with the W2C to correct it, I know they're accessing my account to pay me these funds. In some kind of way, is this type of some type of form, or is this something worth pursuing the thought of, if whether or not me as a living person, knowing that I'm kind of contracting through my straw man at this job, that then I could almost begin to negotiate a different wage for myself, since I am as a contractor and not an employee technically. Is that yeah? Is that and, like a lot of a reasoning. Yeah, and I would I would suggest what. Patrick Devine has something where you modify any contract, any trust, and it's, it's called a standard form 30, which is a modification, uh, standard form 1414, 1416, and 1418, which is a performance and a payment bond. 1414 is that you're getting consent from the surety. You have consent from the surety. Now, that consent for the surety, again, if you got a contract out there, then that means you consent to the minor. You have the what they call equitable interest rights and what's the third interest, title and rights. That's what your contract is stating that this person have an equitable interest, title and rights to represent the infant. So that would be how you could fill out those forms, mm-hmm. the modification you're modifying for the for the child. So those are modifications for me. 
he can't go to his supervisor. Who do he give those forms to? The supervisor not going to know what he's talking about. Well, personnel should. Whoever is the uh, head of the personnel, whoever writes the checks, they're bonded. So if someone bonded knows what you're talking about, and I guarantee there's somebody in that corporation is bonded. Mm-hmm. What about the uh, postal, postmaster general? No, I don't think he. And and again, you. I don't know if anyone could really interfere with a private corporation because they are private, brother. And I, and you saying I want more money from them where they could just lay you off. Period. That's all they can right. do. All I recommend I, you I do is just. Oh, I did. Yeah, I just OID or or again, I would change the the wages into labor, and I will tell them to stop taking money out of my check uh, with a, a the, the W four T. I mean, come on, get more. I don't, I don't have a problem with them type of tapping in on my straw man, because then I could go after them and get mm-hmm. it back. So who cares? They can take as much money. The more money they take out of my estate, the more money I know I'll be able to get back at the end of the year. So I don't care. Myra, do you do you file the 1099s or the 1099 OIDs according to the year that you're in? Like, I just ordered them from the IRS. They just came in with the uh, scannable copies and everything else. But I ordered um, some from from uh, uh, 2019, and I ordered some from 2020. So with with submitting those, anything that I would go after this year, the year that we're currently in, would I then submit a 2020 uh, uh, 1099A or 1099 OID? Or what I submitted according to the year in which the debt was uh, occurred, or whatever they're trying to say. What like if if, I, if the debt is carried over from 2019, what I submitted for that? Let's just say I'm, I'm going after a um, you know just a basic I credit got, card debt or something like that. Yeah, I, and I understand what you're saying. And it wouldn't be it wouldn't hurt to get the OID from the 2020 or the the, the year that the, the debt was made. However, if you look at a 1099A. It was mm-hmm. state on there the date that this debt was acknowledged, and you could say, mm-hmm. "Hey, I heard from Myron yesterday, so you put yesterday's date on it for 1099A." It says the date it was acknowledged. That means when you became aware of it. So you could put it on a 10, 2019 1099A, but then you may want to go back to the the 2020 or whatever to do the OID on it. Okay. But if you have a ten, you got a ten ninety nine A in front of you. Uh, yep. I let me. That's a oh ten ninety nine. That's a ten ninety nine C. So you can read it to the listening audience. Oh, I see. So I don't want the audience think I'd be making this stuff up. <laughs> okay, let me see. Uh, yeah, I do. I got, mm-hmm. I have one right in front of me now. A ten ninety nine A. Yeah, look at uh uh go down box one right next to box two. What don't it say something? The date it was acknowledged. How read that for us? That one in boxes. What? In box. Two. Okay, the acquisition of true. abandonment of a security property. Yeah, my, we'll go down. Box two, box two of this just has the balance of principal outstanding on this particular one. Well, that's a box that has a lot. 
there's a box that has a lot of writing on it. It says it should say the date. Is it? It's like right underneath. Oh, date of lenders. That's box number one. Date of lenders acquisition or knowledge of abandonment. That's box one. Okay. There you go. Okay. Date of lender, knowledge of abandonment. So today you're acknowledging. Remember, because you're doing an A as an abandonment because these people didn't pay taxes on it. So you've got today's acknowledgement on the A. Now, the OID, you may want to go back to the year that that the, the, the debt was, was done in. Mm-hmm. But you see there, I tell you, I got to acknowledge, it got to acknowledge today. So you just brought it up to today's date if you just heard it from me today. So you today's date. It don't matter, you see. And when you and so like I'm, looking, I'm looking at 2019 form, but so basically I can use the 2020 form, still use that date of acknowledgement and put it on there. And then if I wanted to use the OID from the date or from the year that it actually was established. I, I'm just suggesting. Sound like a good, so mm-hmm. you could do 2019, 1099A, but the, the, the date, again, the date that the debt was actually done, unless it's not over three years old, then you go ahead and put it because you still found this under 1040 or 1041. So you're going to be, mm-hmm. you can, you can only go back three years. Okay. And this we would send with the 1040, 1041, or these are, this would show up later. No, I'm, I, well, I'm saying you're going to, I don't know what it is you're going to be claiming, but you, I'm just saying the 1040 and the 1041 only goes back three years. I'm just letting you know, you, oh, can, okay. you have to have, your OIDs within three years, so okay, you know. But the A, right. it sounds like you can use whatever A you want because that's you just got acknowledged today. You're the right. lender on there, and they're the borrower, and they didn't pay taxes, so you're gonna check box five that says isn't the the borrower supposed to be <clears throat> what liable? What does box five say? It says check if the borrower was personally personally liable for repayment of the debt. So they were supposed to repay. They supposed to surrender and they didn't. So you check mm-hmm. box five. That's that means that they, they didn't they abandoned paying taxes. Mm. So what about description of property? Put this? Yeah. I so, want people to understand Yeah. And you put the description of the credit card or whatever it is in the description box. Okay. So now remember, say, now remember, now remember where it says account number because you remember they're the debtor or they're the borrower. You're gonna put their account number as the borrower and the A because you're telling the IRS that they have it in this account number. But remember on the OID, you are the recipient, so your name is on the bottom. So you're gonna put your bank account or wherever you want them to put them your money in. So by the top, the borrower's account number, that's that T, got the TIN number, TIN number. Because on, on the on the 1099A, they have a lender's TIN and then borrower's TIN. Yeah. Well, whatever corporation, yeah. and that again, you can find that sometimes on in the wages and income statement, or if they mm-hmm. gave you some information about that, or you can go online under uh, Yahoo Finances, go under finances and and look for they call it 10K. That's their tax reports that they give to the IRS. It'll have their EIN mm-hmm. number in there. We want to do a little research. Mm-hmm. Remember, these He's corporations depend. He's talking about what? at the bottom, listener. He's talking about oh, that account yeah. number at the bottom. Okay, see I it? see it. The account number. Yeah. yeah, I see it at the very bottom. Right, right. Yeah, that's what he's okay, talking yeah, about. Okay, I do see it. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, on the A, I got, I got the a question. I got a question. If he bought yes. the car in 2018, and he going to do the uh, he going to do an OID on the agreement that on the his paperwork, can he do it on the 2020, or can he do it on the 2019, or do we got to go back and get a 2018 uh, 1099A? Well, I, I have heard. I have heard, and I don't know anyone that is that if it says twenty twenty, if you could you could scratch out that last twenty and put eighteen on top. You know, you could change that oh, okay. those two digits on that form because they they scan it in. I know, but if you put the correct, I guess that's the only thing they would might have to type in themselves. But I'm I'm just saying that's what the OID would be if you're going to scratch it out. I would scratch out the second number on the OID. But on the A, it, you could have 2019. It don't matter because you writing down the day you you acknowledge the debt. Go ahead, Carla. You finished? Or you got some more questions? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna process all this and, and just and show up next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And then and then on a, again and then on the OID people. Put the account mm-hmm. number because your name is on the bottom. So you're going to put the account number that you want your check to be deposited in. Not there. I have an OID. Why you put it back in your account? So on the O, let me get the OID. So on the OID, the account number on the bottom of the OID, that, that would then be my account number or my bank account that I that I wanted to go to. Yeah. That's what I would put it in because, remember, it's the payer. They're the payer, and you are the recipient. So the if you're going to receive it, where are you going to receive it? Why would you want to receive it in their bank account? That ain't going to do you no good. So then does that TIN or the TIN for the recipient, does that matter here? You would, are the would recipient. Would that be my EIN? Yeah, that would be whatever account, whatever number, social, or EIN number at okay. the bank that you want that to go. Okay. He's talking about the EIN, the TIN number. He's not talking about the, the TIN number. number. The account number I know would be the, my banking number that I have it being deposited mm-hmm. in. But the because uh, I remember once before you said if they send a check, send a check back and then tell them to just deposit it into that account number. But what about that TIN number? Well, it TI means tax identification number. So you're talking the same okay. thing. EIN, TIN, they all the same thing. Okay. But see, after after. After the name, then it's a T-I-N, and then at the bottom it says account. It's talking about the what this. So is they talking about the E-I-N number or the tax? It's not talking about the bank account. No, they're talking about their identification number at the IRS. That's their escrow account at the IRS. For us, it would be the social or the E-I-N. For businesses, it might be a T-I-N, you know, a tax Identification. Now, remember, that's what 1212 says. You are the holder of a debt instrument and a 1099 OID with your uh, tax identification number on there. So they had their uh, tax identification on somebody else's account. So apparently they had their social or their, well, I won't say social, but their EIN or TIN as being a recipient. Now on the A, on the, on the A, it's got lender T I N and borrower T I N. How do you know what the borrower, what the bank? If you doing this on the bank or he doing it on the car, 
How do you know what well, their TIN number is? Well, there's, there's, several, there's several ways. You can go down there and give them a W-9, and then they'll give you their EIN number on a W-9. You can request it. Or, again, as if you get the wages and income statement and they gave you some money or they're charging you for some taxes or whatever, that you'll see their EIN number on there. Or you can go to Yahoo Finances, go online, put the company name, put 10K, which is their tax reference number, and that would have their CFO, their headquarters, and their uh, uh, EIN number, which is the same as the TIN. So there's several ways you can find that number. That's what he asked. That's what he needs to know. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Carla. Yeah. All right. I appreciate y'all. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Come on, okay. six minutes left, folks. Any more calls? <laughs> We're doing pretty good. Somebody was we are going to you how to fill out the whole tax form. Somebody was uh, blinking in and out. I guess he, he must have answered his question. His or her question. Oh, okay then. Yeah, because we, we, are, we almost doing that tax form from the WT, the 1099, W2, W2C. Right. That's how you do it. The main thing is we helping them understand it because that, yes. you know, a lot of this is foreign to a lot of us. And so at least if he understand what's going on, you get a clear picture of it. Uh, and I think this picture. Again. 863547. Yep, yep, that's that's me again. Yeah, he he did answer uh-huh. my question. He he did. But so okay. again, I, I was okay. I'm, I'm pulling information from scribes because again, I've kind of I've completed my 1099, and I was reading on one of the documents that it was saying you could almost even leave that that part blank. And I yeah, mean, yeah. Would, would that be you know because I almost feel like the IRS can I easily did. find. Okay. Yeah, and that's, that's I, I, was, I, I was I was going to do yeah. Yeah. If you submit, if you give them a W nine, and you could walk into the office and give it to them and say, "Here, fill this out. I'll wait for it," and they don't give it to you, then you can go back and put refuse in that box. They refuse mm-hmm. to give it to you because my thing is, when I got a contract with them, they ask for my name and my social. Why wouldn't you be right. giving yours? Who are you to say? Wait a minute. I gave you all my information, and we contract together. You, how come you can't give me yours? For tax purposes only. That's the only reason I need it, so I can fill my tax form out properly. Well, right. It, it, and and I, I called another company that, that I had I, I received a loan from. and But again, they just pulled that credit from my estate and just loaned it back to me. So when I called them to try to get their, their information to complete this 1099A, to show that they've abandoned paying taxes, this guy tells me, well, no one's ever asked that question before. You know, and, and, I'm, and I was kind of, you know, just throwing everything at him like, look, I really need this because, look, I have to report this as income to the IRS. If I don't, I'll be seen as, as you know, this is like a, a tax fugitive. I'm avoiding paying taxes. And, I, you know, so then he gets his supervisor on the phone. Oh, you know, but see, but see, as I'm learning, as I'm learning, I now know what little verbal traps to lay <laughs> – in hopes that they'll say trip up and say something, but he got his supervisor on the phone. The supervisor didn't even know, and I'm I'm really just trying to uh, kind of 
you know, really hit it at them. Like, I mean, honestly, sir, ask yourself, how was this company, how are you even able to do business and you don't have this tax identification number? You know, so after I got done, you know, playing around, I just figured, okay, I know where to get it and I know what to do. <laughs> so. Yeah. And again, you, I gave you my number. How come you can't give me yours? What's, what's the difference? You gave, I gave you all my information. You took money out of my estate and you tell them you can't even give me your tax ID number. You know, that that don't make no sense. You're trying to make me a, what we call a tax fugitive. I, I like that. You're a fugitive. Tax fugitive, yep, yep. But that's that's beautiful. And again, people, when you talk to these people, you better make it like you know what you're talking about. Lady, I I, I applaud you. That's beautiful. Cause, and then acting like, oh, we don't know what you're talking about. But then apparently you don't make enough money. I need you to, are you bonded? That's right. the question you need to ask these folks. Are you bonded? If they say no, then you're right. Then you don't make they enough don't money. Know. I need you to send me, right. yeah, send me to, you know, transfer me to somebody a little bit that makes a little bit more money than you do. Thank you. So that that that's the way you have to do it. Oh gosh, hold on, hold on, man. I'm not off. Thank, thank you, thank you for that. I'll mute. It's usually, it's usually the CFO or the CEO. Those obviously bonded. Five minutes. Give me a call back. All right. Go ahead. I'm sorry, folks. Um, yeah, that's okay. We're yeah. I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad the lady. I, I, I applaud you because you you stuck to it. And again, people, uh, if you look at what UCC three six zero three, you only supposed to talk to the person who's authorized to deal with this information. So if they say we don't know what you're talking about, then you're not even following the rules. Three UCC three six zero three. Give talk to the person who has the authority to deal with this. It's you know with Tinder, so you're not talking to the right people. Then you know you need to get promoted. Tell them I need you to you know promote me up to transfer me to somebody who's bonded. Why? Because when you file a lien against them for damaging you, you want to have a bonded person so you can go after their bond. You can't go after anything from a clerk. Even the managers don't have bonds. You you can't put you can't go against what they don't have, but you can go against the person who's bonded, and the corporation that they work for, you have their EIN, their, their DUNS number. All you need is the address, the name of the company, and the address. Contact the Dun and Bradstreet, and they will email you their DUNS number. They will email you within a few hours or the next day, uh, the, the, the DUNS and Dun and Bradstreet. So when you fill out that UCC1, that lien on them, you got the, the bond person, the person you talk to is bonded, I think the county clerk or the city clerk has their bonding information. So you can go down to the county clerk or the city clerk and get their bonding information. uh, For the corporation themselves, you want to mess with their credit report. So the Dun & Bradstreet does credit for them. So you want their name and their address, I believe, and they will send you, email you their DUNS number. So on the on the uh, UCC one, you're going to put the name of the corporation and their DUNS number going to be after that. And the bond, the bond information is going to be after their name. Now I would send that in people and make it sample. If I do not get what I want in 15 days or get a debt discharge or whatever you asking for in 15 days, this is the UCC one I will be filing against you. 
And I think they know you got some serious business that you're talking about. So. Oh, you think you'll and, get a and, response then? Oh, I bet you will. I call it. I call that the scare tactic. Attach the UCC one to your information. Especially if you've been. This is their third notice. Put that UCC one and say if you don't answer and give me what I want in a few days. And then again, always use one. We talked earlier. Use one of your assignees, your avatars. Don't go in there with your name. You never use your name. You go in there with the business name or the name of your bank and use that as your uh, trustee, as a, uh, your secure party, which normally would be, it could be either one of them. And then in box five, four, where it says collateral, whatever the amount is that you're dealing with, you multiply it by three. And then on the last line, here I say again, on the last line in that box, you say, you will not retaliate upon payment. There will be no retaliation upon being paid. Because some of them do that. You sign that check, they may throw you in jail. That's a retaliation. So you put that down there in box four. Once being paid, there will be no retaliation. And, of course, you got the word sample, example, that will be filed within 15 days. You put that across the page. And just let them know, I'm serious. Because as long as you got a contract with the person, you can file a, a, a commercial lien. It's called a commercial lien. You can file a commercial lien on them. You don't have to go to court. You don't have to go to court for that commercial lien. I'm serious, folks. You don't have to go to court. Now, can you use your name uh, if you if you have an ANC? So your name is a is a business, right? So you can sign uh, that your name that way, correct? As long as you put an EIN number after it. So you got to take what you got from Minnesota. And you have to open up a a, a business with that name. You could go. You, you got a name. You could go to the IRS and get an EIN number. But see, as I was telling you before, on that assumed name, the only reason you go for that assumed name is so you could register that name to yourself. But if you're dealing with businesses, oh, go get a DBA at your state. Just go to your county and get uh-huh. your DBA. So all of that okay. is all registered. All registered with the state so you can go and open up a bank account. But for the ANC, oh, okay. I need the name because in my state, Michigan, they won't allow you to use your name. They'll say the state owns that name. You can't use the name. Mm-hmm. The state owns it. Right. So I just okay. want to take the name and register it to myself because if you read Rule 220, Minnesota Rule 220, which is a general rule of practice, General rules of practice, so that means general means everywhere can use this rule. Um, they ask for a registered name. Your name needs to be registered. So I, I registered my name because they only do registrations in the state. In the state, your name is only in regi- registration. There is an event that's been recorded. It's been recorded as an event that you were born on this day. Just a recording. It's not registered. A corporation can't register anything. Corpse, they're dead. Buzz Bunny can't register his name, Buzz Bunny. He can get a copyright, which is a little bit lower, but he can't register his name. 
Well, All right, any more questions? No, that's it. And thank yeah. you, as always. We appreciate you opening our eyes, educating us. And uh, we look forward yeah. to next Sunday. All debts out there, people, are OIDs. And you, I mean, uh, I owe you. So they're saying that you owe us this amount, and you're going to convert them to OIDs. Some of them you want to send an A to alert alert the IRS. Maybe some of them you don't. But nonetheless, you know, old saying, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. So go ahead and file an A. File an A on them as an abandonment. Even if this is a third party, and you know that third party didn't take the money out of your account, but I guarantee you the IRS is going to go to them to get the money because you the one that uh, made an assumption he has a contract with you and he owes you. Well, guess what? He just put his foot up, yo, hmm, whatever. So uh-huh. this, this really, people can see the vision of what goes on when I'm talking about here and what's going to happen right. to the third party. You were like, oh, my God, this is Mr. Rice or something else. Uh-huh. I okay, see you, Mr. folks. Rice. All right. Good. Thank you. Okay. Talk love to you. you next week. I love you all. Love you all. all see right. you all next week. We're, Peace and okay. love. Okay. Peace and love. And join me tomorrow. I'll be on at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Dr. Robert X.
Wake up, all the builders, time to build a new land. I know we can do it if we all lend a hand. The only thing we have to do is put it in our minds. Surely things will work out, they do it every time. Let it be The world won't get no better We gotta change it Just you and me
for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at penfed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. A little flexibility can go a long way. By refinancing your newer used auto loan with PenFed, you can lower your monthly payments for more flexibility in your budget. You can even schedule your first payment for up to 60 days from the date of your refinance. Calculate how much you could save at PenFed.org slash autorefi or call 1-800-247-5626 to apply. Membership is open to everyone. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA.